Happy Easter, church. He is risen. Amen. Church, we are here to celebrate not fiction, but fact. There's something in us that, that loves a good fiction. Have you ever noticed that? And I believe it's because of a longing that is inside each one of us. The reason, I don't know about you, but I, I do love fiction. I, I love things like The Hobbit. I, I love different things like The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, and all these different series that are out there, and all kinds of other fiction as well. And the reason I think that we love fiction is because we long to escape certain things in life. Sometimes we want to get out of the time and the situation that we're in to a better time and a better situation. We long to escape things like death. There's a part of us inside that wants a, a love that never ends, a, a love that is constant, a love that is true. There's something within us that we love it. We love a good story because we want good to triumph evil, don't we? And folks, the reason that longing is there, it's not a happenstance. It's not just some off chance that that longing is within us. At this deep level, this is what we were made for in life. You see, we weren't made to see death. We weren't made to know separation from God, separation from those that we love and those that we care about. We weren't... We weren't made to know disease. We weren't made to know disaster. You see, when God created us, He created us in His image and for His glory. But we live in this world where death is everywhere and it seems like evil is triumphing and broken relationships surround us. But today is a day that we remember that we as believers, we grab hold of not fiction, but fact that changes all of this. Today we're reminded that through faith in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, all of these things aren't fiction anymore. They're true. That on a day like today, we're reminded that because of Christ, we can escape death. Because of Jesus Christ, we walk with God again in a relationship that will never end. And we know that the end of the story, the Bible tells us, that Jesus wins. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reminder that He was vindicated and that He is victorious. And folks, that changes everything for you and me. One of the things I love about this story in the Bible is that it's one of the first times in the Scripture, and really the first time in the Scripture, that a story of one of the people that we read about in this book Every other person in the Bible, from early on in Genesis all the way up through Malachi until we hit the book of Matthew, every story ends the same. And Moses died, and Abraham died, and David died, and Solomon died, and Isaiah died. But when we get to Matthew, you know what it says? He's alive. He is alive. And see, this changes everything today. What the world needs to know from us. What we've been sent out to tell this world is that hope is alive, that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. When we look at the resurrection story that we're going to in Matthew 28, one of the things that you're going to find is that Matthew tends to give us more than all the other writers just the facts. 
He doesn't go into a lot of discussion where some of the other writers like Luke and John and Mark get into a little bit further discussion about the resurrection. He comes in and he wants you to see with as minimal words as he can that the resurrection is true. And not only is the resurrection true, but he wants you to know that God's grace has been given to you in the person of Jesus. He wants you to know that today you can be forgiven, that you can be transformed, that you can be set free. And folks, I want to challenge you today that if you haven't come to believe in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that this resurrection that we speak uh, speak about, it didn't happen in a corner. It didn't happen somewhere hidden. Folks, history records the resurrection of Jesus Christ, both our biblical history as well as secular history. That the body of Jesus was gone. And we're going to talk about that today. I want us to grasp and I want us to understand that it is verified by history and many witnesses. And I want you to know that all that we see with the church of Jesus Christ today, the spread of the gospel around the world is because Jesus lives and he is going to move and he's going to save even to this day. What I love about Matthew 28 is that we find in this simple chapter, in this book that just gives us the facts, this book that started with Emmanuel, God with us, you know what it ends with? I will be with you even until the end of the age. You see, the greatest news is in the book of Matthew chapter 28, and so is the greatest mission. So let me read it to you today. And today I'm going to have us do something that we don't always do in here, but I want us to stand as we read this text today. And let me read it to you. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone away and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him, and they became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified, but he is not here, he's risen. Just as he said, come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, that you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb, and they quickly, with fear and great joy, and they ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, and he greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brothers to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, you were to say, his disciples came by night and they stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will, uh, we will with him or win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. 
But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You may be seated. You see, this morning, I love the way this story of the resurrection begins because what we find is the same women that just the chapter before, three days before, they were following Joseph of Arimathea. They were wanting to know, what are they going to do with my Savior? What these women understood was that Jesus had been crucified. And even though Jesus had talked about the resurrection, even though he said, in three days, I will rise again, what is so obvious in the beginning of this story and every other gospel story that we have on the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that no one expected that hope would be alive that Sunday morning. You see, when they went to the tomb that day, they went with spices. They felt that Jesus had not been properly buried. They witnessed him hastily being put into this borrowed tomb. And the love that these women had for Jesus at the cross was still burning inside of their hearts on that Sunday morning. And what we find is that with this greatest event that has ever occurred... In the history of the world, in this moment that everything would change, I want you to see that it, the way that it's worded, it said, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. He didn't say on the third day. He didn't look back and think about the first day and the second day and then remind them it was the third day. What he wanted you to see when he wrote this is that this is the first day of something brand new. This is when everything would change. And at the beginning of this first day of this new week, these women came to look at the grave. And look at what it says. It says, Behold, a severe earthquake. Folks, on that Sunday morning, the earth shook. And you know why? Because hope is alive. The announcement of the risen Savior, it merited some amazing moments, didn't it? We can only imagine what was going on in the unseen world. As death was defeated, as sin was defeated, as the grave was being defeated, as Satan himself was being defeated, as the world was being defeated in all of its systems, as God was gaining victory over all of those things, you can only imagine what was happening. And in that moment, it says that an angel came and he looked like lightning and literally his clothes were as white as snow. And in the midst of his coming, as he rolled that stone away, not to let Jesus out, Jesus had already risen. He opened that tomb. Why? So that he could let him in. So that they could see with their own eyes that Jesus Christ wasn't there. He was risen. And in that moment, the earth shook with a great earthquake. How great was it? How moving of a moment was it when that angel came and rolled that stone away? Well, by the time the women got there, listen, there were soldiers who were laying on the ground as if they were dead. 
And I love what the angel tells the women in the midst of this. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Doesn't God have a sense of humor? I mean, a great earthquake, an angel standing before you, and I don't want you to think chubby cherubs. I would make a good angel if they were chubby cherubs. No, no. As that mighty warrior, that angel, that messenger of God stood there that day. The soldiers fell as dead, and I'm sure those women probably wanted to do the same thing, except when the angel spoke to them. He said, don't be afraid. We have a lot of phobias, don't we? One of my greatest ones is snakes, only followed by darkness. If you want to torture me, put me in a locked room with no light, and then throw a snake in there. All of you, yeah, and if y'all do that, I'm leaving this church. I'm just saying. <laughs> that'll be my sign. We have all kinds of fears. We fear change. We, we fear the future. We fear failure. Some of you fear public speaking and heights. But you know what the universal fear is? Death. And you see, the resurrection, this is the hope of this day. That you know what, that greatest fear that all of us have, that moment when we die, that moment when life ceases inside of us, it is the greatest fear. But you know what the, the empty tomb screams? You know what the message of Easter is? We don't have to be afraid anymore. Folks, we don't have to be afraid to live. We don't have to be afraid to die. You don't have to live in fear anymore. The message of the empty tube is don't be afraid because Jesus has defeated the world. He's defeated our sinful flesh. He has defeated the devil. He has defeated death itself. And in that moment, the whole earth shook. But it doesn't stop there in the story in those first four verses. When you get to verse 5, the earth shook because hope is alive, but Mary saw with her own eyes that hope was alive. You see, we know Mary Magdalene was there. We know there was another Mary, and there could be probably up to four other Marys. We don't know which one it was. We're pretty sure it wasn't Mary, the mother of Jesus, but there were other options, whether it was one of the, you have James and, and, and John, the sons of Zebedee. Their mother was there at the crucifixion. It may have been her. There, there were probably two other options there. We don't know. It doesn't tell us in this text which other Mary is being referred to in this text. It was a very common name back then, but what we do know is that Mary Magdalene and another Mary, they got to that tomb, and listen, I want you to see that in that moment, they were hurting. They were struggling. But their hope, it was centered on Jesus. And could you imagine what it was like that Easter morning when they went, and again, they weren't expecting a resurrection. Everything seemed to be hopeless, but they knew one thing. They loved Jesus. And how could Mary Magdalene not love Jesus? This is the woman who was possessed by seven demons, and literally, Jesus comes, and he speaks, and those demons are cast out of her. Jesus came to this woman, and he showed her compassion. He freed her from torment. He freed her 
from the indignity of these demons. He had given her life. He had given her a reason to live. He had given her a place in his kingdom. He made her worthy. He gave her dignity. He gave her understanding, compassion, love, and hope. That's what drove her to stand there when every other disciple had left the cross. When everyone else fled, it's what drove those women to Jesus. She stood at the cross because she loved Jesus. And you know what? She still loved him. And that's what drove her to the tomb that day. These ladies were there because they loved Jesus. They were devoted to Jesus, even in the brokenness, even in the heartache, even in the darkness of that moment, in the darkness of that day. They didn't have any answers of what was next. They weren't expecting Jesus. But they still loved him. I love the account of Matthew because Matthew, there's, there's such authenticity in the text that you can tell that he's not trying to make up a story and fabricate something so that people might believe it because the worst witness in the world would have been married to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Who's going to believe a, a demon-possessed woman? Back in that day, unfortunately, it's not like today. Back in that day, women couldn't even be a witness in court. They wouldn't have even accepted their testimony in court. She would have been the least credible witness to the resurrection. But do you understand that not to Jesus? When you think of all of those who would get to witness this moment, it was the ones that were standing there who were committed to Jesus, who loved Jesus in the midst of it all. Joey Kent gave me a book this week that I, I greatly appreciated about a look at the crucifixion through the eyes of Jesus and the whole story of Easter. And there was a statement in that book that, that I haven't been able to quit thinking about since I read it. Because I never thought about it this way. Some of the other gospel accounts give more of a picture into what happened in this moment. In the book of Matthew, it says that as they had been told to go and tell the disciples that he indeed is risen and to go to Galilee and meet them there as they're going on their way, they literally run into, guess who? They run into Jesus. Now, in other Gospels, people are thinking, oh, he must be the gardener. His glorified body looks different enough. And again, they're not expecting him to be risen. They're not looking for him. And suddenly there's this man that appears, and, they, and he speaks, and he just simply says, Mary. And while she didn't recognize his body, when he spoke her name, her world stopped. It wasn't just the earth that shook. And it says that she grabbed a hold of Jesus and didn't want to let go. And you know what that book said? I, I just, I never really considered it. It said that all that God has ever wanted from us, let that sink in a second. All that God has ever asked of us, all that he has ever wanted for us is that we would love the Lord our God. How? With all of our soul, with all of our strength. 
Do you see what happened in that moment? That is the beauty of the picture of Mary holding and clinging to Jesus. That in, I mean, we overthink the simplicity of that statement, but here was a woman. All of her hope, she thought, was buried in a tomb. And all of a sudden, she realizes that hope is alive. And in that moment, I can assure you that there wasn't one other thing in life that had her affection besides the only one that mattered. Folks, that's all Jesus is asking of us today. That we would love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength. And folks, there's good news for all of us. He takes great sinners. And people who have been through great suffering. And you know what he does? He makes them great servants. (laughs) That's the story of Mary. And folks, think of the good news that means for us today. You say, I'm a sinner. You know what Jesus says? Come to me. You say, if you only knew my suffering, you know what he says? Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come. Why? I want to give you rest. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you freedom. I want to give you life. I am the only source. You can look anywhere and everywhere else in the world, and you'll never find what Jesus offers to you because of his death, burial, and resurrection. He will meet every longing in your heart. Because if he used these ladies, if he transformed these ladies, then he can use you. I want you to notice the term that Jesus and other gospels, he has to tell them, look, you got to let go of me. (laughs) I got things to do. You got things to do. You got to let go of me. And the women do. But he looks at them. And I love the way Jesus says it. He says it different than the angels. The angel said, I want you to go and I want you to tell my disciples. But notice the difference, the shift, the subtlety in verse 10 of what Jesus says to those women. He says, I want you to go, not to my disciples, but to who? My brothers. I want you to forget what, I mean, remember what happened three days before. Jesus would have had every right to come to those men and say, you know what? I want you to go and find those turncoats. I want you to seek out those losers who abandoned me. I want you to seek out those guys that denied me. Is that what he said at all? You want to talk about grace. You want to talk about, I mean, that's what we've been talking about for two weeks. This picture of grace with the thief. This picture of grace. The way that Jesus approaches these men. He reminds them, I love you. I am going to be faithful to you. Nothing has changed. My love is consistent. And yes, you may have abandoned me. Yes, you may have betrayed me. Yes, you could say, you know what, I disappointed Jesus. But you know all that Jesus wants? He wants what he always wanted, a relationship. And he says, go and find my brothers and tell them, listen, I'm going to come to Galilee and I'm going to meet them there. Do you hear the voice of Jesus calling you friend? Calling you brother? Calling you his own? Oh, indeed, hope is alive. 
thirdly want you to see that the, soldier, the soldiers, they schemed. But hope is still alive. The earth shook. Mary saw that hope was alive. And these soldiers, uh, again, the forwardness of Matthew, that he just cuts to the chase. And he says, you know what? There are going to be those that are going to say, and they are already saying that Jesus isn't alive. But I want you to think for a second. Use your reasoning. Use your common sense that of everything that they ever could have said about Jesus, the only explanation that makes sense with this recorded history, not a story, not something made up, not something that was only seen by two people or three people, but something seen by hundreds of people, something seen by a whole community. We know of the earthquakes. We know, listen, the historians have written about the accounts of Jesus Christ, both biblical and secular. And in that first moment, they said, you know what, we've got to do something. Those religious leaders, when those men came and said, you're not going to believe what happened. You felt the earthquake. That stone rolled away. Jesus wasn't in there. What in the world are we going to do? Now, those soldiers, they were scared to death and they had every reason to be. If you lose what you were supposed to be guarding in the Roman Empire, guess what happens to you? You die. That would have been unacceptable. Those men should have lost their life, and no doubt they went to those religious leaders and said, we have a problem. He's not there. And the best they could come up with was the disciples stole him away. Now, you see, they were fortunate because Pilate, he could have almost cared less in this. Pilate had washed his hands of this situation. It didn't matter to him. Remember when they said, we need armed guards so that we can have a Roman group of guards that are there, heavily armed, heavily armored, so that we know the body cannot be taken? Remember, Pilate's like, why do I care about that? And they kept pressing, and they kept pressing until Pilate finally said, you know what? Then take some guards and go do what you're going to do. And they schemed. And you know what they came up with? We'll say the disciples took them. Let me ask you a question. Out of all the theories about how and what may have happened to Jesus, all of them, to me, make no sense. They go against even logic, even common sense. Some would say that, you know what, we have, you know, first of all, they call it the swoon theory. The swoon theory is that Jesus didn't really die. That he was on the cross, and even though he was beaten almost to death before he ever went to the cross, no one had ever died as quickly as Jesus because he had been beaten so badly before he ever got there. If you remember, these guys, they were good at one thing. They were good at killing. These Roman soldiers, they were good at taking your life. They had perfected the crucifixion of, of, of people. And I want you to know that there is no way those Roman guards took a body off of that cross that was alive. They pierced him in the blood. And the, listen, he could not have survived all that he went through. And even if he survived, are you telling me that Jesus was able to get up after all of that and move that stone that took many men to put in place that was sealed? Now, when they put Jesus in that tomb, you better believe Jesus was dead. And they said, well, secondly, what if, the, 
What if the disciples took Jesus? What if the disciples stole the body? That was the story that he's referring to here. Well, let me ask you a question. When did these men suddenly find courage? These were the men that wouldn't even go to the cross, that wouldn't even witness it for fear of what would happen. They have been betraying Jesus. Whenever somebody said, you know Jesus, they're like, I don't know Jesus. You're crazy. I've never met Jesus. And they started cussing about not knowing Jesus. Are you telling me that a few of these men went and literally just stole the body? They, they defeated Roman guards guarding the tomb and somehow they subdued them, and somehow they got into that tomb, and they took the body of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you why that's crazy. If they stole the body of Jesus, would you ever die for a lie that you knew was a lie? If these men knew that Jesus was dead, you th listen, every one of the disciples that they said stole the body of Jesus, outside of John, listen, they all died a martyr's death. You don't think one of them would have said, listen, I mean, I mean, honestly, do you think on, on, on Saturday they were sitting around and their thought, their mentality was, hey, you know what, let's make up a lie about Jesus. You know, they're reminiscing, man, it was really cool when Jesus healed those people, when Jesus fed the 5,000. Wasn't that cool? And everybody's like, yeah. Well, what are we going to do? Jesus is dead. You think one of them suddenly said, well, you know what, this might be a good get-rich-quick scheme for us. How about we steal the body? And we come up with a scheme and we're going to go out and, you know, what? we're going to be rich. People are going to think that we're the most amazing thing can't you just hear one of them going, now, wait a minute. You really think that's how that's going to work out? They hated Jesus. You think they're not going to hate us? They persecuted Jesus. You think they're not going to persecute us? You think the religious leaders are going to let us get away with that? You think they would walk into that kind of a life knowing what was coming, especially when death met them? If they knew Jesus was dead, what, do you think they're going to die for that? Well, maybe the religious leaders took him. Folks, the quickest way to have killed Christianity would have been what? If the religious leaders had the body of Jesus. If the Romans, because they said maybe the Romans stole him. Listen, all the Romans, all the Jews would have had to have done to have undone this life-changing gospel that is going throughout all of Rome. All they would have had to have done if they had the body of Jesus was to simply what? Present the body of Jesus. This one you say is risen, guess what? Here he is, dead as he was on Friday. See, none of that makes sense. Corinthians tells us 500 witnesses saw Jesus. For 40 days, Jesus walked the earth, and many people saw him in bodily form. Folks, they tried some fake news to do damage control, but it just didn't make sense. You can tell there was a scandal because those men normally would have died, but it had been fixed where they hadn't died even though they let disciples steal the body, supposedly. Folks, there has to be a reality. I want you to know that today we don't stand here today and we just say, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead in the sense of, you know, I hope he has, or, or I believe maybe he has. Folks, we stand on the truth today that Jesus is alive. If you were a stuntman, would it be good enough 
for you to say, I said, look, you're going to jump as a stuntman off this 10-story building. You haven't looked over the precipice yet, but down there, there is a a bag of air that I promise you, if you leap off this building, it's going to be there. Would it be enough for you to say, well, as long as I believe it's there, that's enough? As long as I think it's there, that's enough. No, no, you would want what? You would want to know. I don't know about you. I'm staking all of my eternity, all of my hope, all of my tomorrows, all of my forever, all of my life today and forevermore on what I know to be true, not what I think. And that is that Jesus is alive. His resurrection was as public as his crucifixion. And what this story tells us is that they were ready, these Roman soldiers, to fend off an earthly grave robber. What they weren't expecting was a heavenly grave robber. And that leads us to the last point this morning. We get to share that hope is alive. You see, that's, that is one of the most glorious things about this, is that we get to share as believers in Jesus Christ that hope is alive. And you see, when he went to meet these men, we would have known that it would have been probably weeks after that he went to Galilee from Jerusalem to go meet with these disciples. And again, I love the honesty. If he was writing this for the sake of trying to persuade people or, or make up a story, he wouldn't have given you verse 17 where he says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were what? Yeah, why would you put that in there? And no doubt some were doubting because not everyone had seen him yet. Not everyone had touched him yet. Not everyone had gotten to see those nail-scarred hands. Not everyone had spoken with Jesus yet. And in that moment, there were still some. Like doubting Thomas. Uh, There is a virtuous, in a way, doubt. Have you ever thought about that? A doubt that really is seeking. Not a doubt that is closed. Not a doubt that is no longer willing to listen, willing to understand, willing to see spiritually what God is doing. But there is that little bit of doubt that is within us that we say, you know what, I need proof. It was, it was what many had done throughout the Old Testament. Remember the throwing out of the fleeces? Remember the number of times that people said, Jesus, if this is really what you want me to do, I need you to give me a sign. Folks, it's in our nature to doubt. And there were still some that were doubting while there were others that were worshiping. But at the end of the day, Jesus looks at all of them and he reveals himself to all of them and he gives them one great command. And you see, many times we separate Matthew 28 out of the resurrection story. There's no reason to separate it out. From the very beginning, he said, I want you to go to Galilee. I want to see my brethren. I want to go and I have something that I want to share with them. I want to show them that I am alive, but I have a message for them. The one great commandment God gave to us in the resurrection was he said, I want you to go. And I want you to make disciples of all nations, and I want you to baptize those who believe in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then I want you to take those new believers into the church of Jesus Christ, and I want you to teach them life on life together. What I did for you, I want you to do for them. And I want you to take those disciples that you have, and I want you to teach them 
everything I've commanded you. And he says, I want you to remember this. As you're going and as you're being obedient and as you're doing what I've asked you to do, remember Emmanuel's still here. God is still going to be with you to the end of the age. I love the list of alls that make up the Great Commission. He says that I have all authority. He says that I want you to look at all of the mission field from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, right? He says, as you're going, they were standing right there. As you're going, no matter where it is that you're going, whether you're going to Jerusalem, whether you're going to Samaria, whether you're going to Judea, whether you're going outside of Israel to the uttermost parts of the world, he says, wherever it is that you're going, what is your number one reason for living? To bring honor and glory to Jesus as we share the story, hope is alive. He says, I want you to see all of the mission to baptize and teach. And he says, I want you to have all assurance that I am going to be with you. Christians, here's what I want you to see with me today. You can't leave the the resurrection scene without seeing the priority of evangelism. Let me say that again. This room is full. Why? Because we want to celebrate Easter. We want to celebrate hope. We want to ask the question, what does it all mean for me? How does this message, how does this resurrection, how does this life, what does it mean? What does it change for me? Folks, you can't get out of the resurrection story without understanding my job is to be a missionary. My job is to be an evangelist. My job is to go out into this world and let them know Jesus is alive. And folks, I don't want to hear. Well, you know what? I'm just going to live it. Muslims live good lives. Hindu people live good lives. Jehovah's Witnesses live good lives. On the, listen, we can be moral, right? We can look like it's all good on the outside. But let me tell you something. None of us are good until Jesus comes in and transforms us. None of us. None of us. We'll ever see a soul saved until we have the courage to say the name Jesus. I don't care how you live. That may get them to ask you the question of what's different. But at that point, guess what you have to say? I'm alive because he's alive. I've been transformed because death has been defeated. I have a new nature because I was crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that live. Christ lives in me until you find a way to share the message of hope. You haven't taken from the resurrection story what he wants you to see. Because the greatest news is coupled with the greatest mission. I don't believe, I really, uh, folks, you're going to say I'm overstating this. I'm not overstating it. I don't believe a person can truly experience the resurrection power of Jesus and not share it. You let that sink in a second. I truly do not believe someone that has seen and understands that hope is alive and his name is Jesus, that you wouldn't take that message and share it with someone who desperately needs it. 
All I can tell you is those that believed in Jesus every time in the New Testament scriptures, it says that they believed and hope rose up within them and they had to go tell to the point that Jesus had to keep saying, oh, that Jesus had to look at the church today and go, <laughs> my time's not yet come. But see, now this is the time. And we have the clear command, now it's time to go and tell and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything. As the musicians come this morning, I just want to share with you one story about a minister whose name was W.E. Sangster. He was a British pastor. And there came a point in his life where he had, he had developed a disease that unfortunately was bringing atrophy to all of his muscles. Literally, this was a disease that was going to kill him. It was going to eventually take his life. And, and as a pastor, it was terribly hard for him because one of the first things that he lost was the ability to use the muscles in his throat that help him speak. And he began to lose his voice. And then it got to the point where he really couldn't even walk anymore. And at some point, he wrote when it was getting near the end, he pled with God and he said, God, please let me stay in the struggle, Lord. I don't care if I can no longer be a general, but at least let me lead a regiment. See the passion in this guy? He wanted to keep sharing Jesus, and yet his body was beginning to fail. Eventually, his voice failed completely. His legs became useless. And what I love is that on one Easter morning, a few weeks before his death, the last thing that he wrote to his daughter, he took out a pen and he could barely write. And I want you to hear what he wrote. He said, sweetheart, it is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, he is risen. But it would still be more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. Where does that place you and I? Would that be our greatest concern at the end of our life? If we were in that moment where he is, would our greatest concern be, listen, it is horrible that I can't on this Easter morning shout he is risen. But the recognition that I would rather be in that situation than to have a voice and not want to. So church, let this resurrection moment compel you to go out and do the thing that Jesus called us to do. Let this resurrection moment transform us again to become the people that God has made us to be. Listen, we are forgiven. We are free. Live free. Sin is defeated. Let it be defeated in your life. Say no. Say, greater is Jesus in me than this sin, than this struggle, 
than this addiction. Start in faith to believe that the power that raised Jesus has every potential to transform your life. Believe it. That is what the resurrection is about. Transform lives. But maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Today is a day that you can receive Christ. There is no better day than Easter Sunday. Any day is a good day to receive Jesus. But in this moment, let the res- listen, go stick your head inside the tomb. He's not there. Any way you look at it, go and study it. Everybody, everywhere will say the same thing. He's not there. He's risen. Have you confessed your sin to Jesus? Have you told him what he already knows, that you need to know that I'm a sinner who can't save himself? All I have looking forward to me is is death and destruction. There's no life in me because I've ruined my life. And Jesus, I come to you because you said you would be compassionate and gracious to me if you can save a thief, if you can save a tax collector, if you can save a prostitute, if you can save a murderer, If you can save any and every other sinner out there, what makes you think Jesus can't save you? Ask him to save you and to transform you. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe that his death was what you deserved and he died on Calvary's cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day bringing life to anyone who would place their faith in him. And so today you stand, either you will be judged by your sins and for your sins that you've committed. And let me tell you, the wage of sin is death, but Jesus has given you a gift. God gave you his son so that he could take your death penalty and you could go free. And you know what he asks? The same thing that he's always asked, love me. With all your soul, heart, mind, and strength. Love me. Surrender to me. Believe that I am good and that I am holy and that I am sovereign and that I have a purpose and a plan for your life. Surrender your will to my will. Surrender your life to me. And listen, if you will confess and repent of your sins, if you will believe on Jesus and what he did for you that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, if you surrender to Jesus, all you have to do is pray and ask him to save you. So I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes in this moment. Is there anyone here today that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior? That for the first time in your life, you want to give your heart and your soul and your life to Jesus. You know you need forgiveness. And today is a day that you want to give your life to him, to surrender to him, to follow him, to be forgiven If you need that gift of salvation today, will you just raise your hand in in this room? Don't be afraid. Don't worry about everybody else. I want to pray with you right now. If you will just raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. Is there anybody here today that needs to know Christ as Lord? I'm going to give you just 10 more seconds. It takes courage to confess and to admit that we need to be saved. Is there anyone in here? 
I see you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? There's one young man. I see another in the back. I see you back there. Is there anyone else? I see you, my friend. It's time to let Christ change you. So I want you to just pray with me. If you raised your hand, the three of you that I saw, just pray this prayer. Just repeat it after me. It has to be the words of your heart. It's not magic. It's not the words that I share. It's what you say in your heart. And so if you want to be saved, I want you to pray this prayer. Just repeat it after me if it's your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for dying on the cross, for sending your son to take my place there. Heavenly Father, today I recognize my sin. I recognize I need to be saved. And I confess my sins to you. And I want to turn away from them. Change me, Jesus. Today I believe that you died on the cross for me. Today I believe that you were buried and you rose again so that I could be forgiven. And today I ask you to save me from my sins. I'm going to surrender my life to you and make you Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me in this moment. Give me the courage to let others know what I've done. To follow you in baptism to be part of a church body. But Jesus, thank you for giving me hope today and letting me know that hope is alive in Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.